on this episode once again paul edition screw the regular car guy the ford gt3 is all but confirmed and bmw says goodbye to the manuals and dct finally we have a word on the world of cars covering circuit safaris have you guys heard of circuit safaris I hadn't until recently. Now, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you're catching this podcast. And follow us on YouTube and Instagram for more content at 91 Octane. Let's start the show. This thing is a freaking monster. Welcome to 91 Octane. I am John and let's go under the hood. Once again, the consumers get screwed thanks to our brilliant politicians. Florida's DeSantis has signed a bill blocking direct-to-consumer sales. The bill was actually written by a lobbyist for the Florida Automobile Dealers Association. No surprise there. They have been lobbying for dealers to be in the middle of our car purchases forever now. And it's not its not just the Florida Association. It's the National Association uh, for Dealers. And they invest a lot of money in make sh- making sure that those dealerships stay in the middle of the OEMs and the consumer. Initially, the bill did not include an exception for Tesla or any other electric car companies which would have meant that a lot of these electric car companies that don't really have the dealership infrastructure yet or built it hasn't been a priority it hasn't been a requirement for them they have been able to sell direct to consumer um but this bill would have made it so they did have to have dealerships um and propping those up but the lobbyists on the ev side countered the lobbyists on the dealership side and they came to an agreement and made an exception in the bill for tesla and other ev companies um which is wild right like this is how our automotive laws are being created through these lobbyists now the bill restricts automakers control over the dealer inventory and prices so what this means is that now there is a document that says dealerships can charge whatever they want no restrictions can be put on their prices by the oems so you know how ford was trying to combat the the markup situation um, that was going on from like 2020 to 2023 and even going on now um they decided uh to put it in the bill that they can't really protect a consumer so these markup situations which has although gotten a little better not a lot better as of recent and with bills like this passing i mean of course they're going to be motivated to charge markups right to uh, create demand in the market that might not actually be there uh this is wild i mean we are going the in the wrong direction i would say there is nothing i i get that there's a need for dealerships to service vehicles but that can be done outside of that uh it doesn't necessarily have to go there um i know a lot of people do but there are ways around that i mean carmax does it carvana does it they use third-party shops to facilitate their warranty claims there's a system already there they just need to consult those teams to figure it out we don't need the dealerships and we definitely don't need dealerships getting bills passed 
that say that they can do whatever they want in terms of prices. That's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, it's already pretty bad, but it's going to get worse. And, you know, I guess you could argue that if people are willing to pay for it, then that's the price of the vehicle. Yeah, I, I understand that. But um, you're not really giving the consumer many protections here with these laws. Now, a lobbyist for the FADA or FADA argues that dealers are essential to providing customer service, warranty work and service on manufacturers products. Again, yeah, that's true. I could see why they would make that argument just because that's what that system currently does. But the, that in no way means that it cannot be replaced. It has been replaced. We know there are models out there that works. Um, so th it's it's a little ridiculous. And, you know, dealers have made significant donations um, to make sure that these bills continue to pass. DeSantis received $2 million. Um, $230,000 was sent to a PAC um, run by Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo and 50,000 was given to a state senator by the name of Ben Alberton and Jason Schof, the bill sponsor in the state house, the guy that brought the bill forward to then get it passed, received a 10,000 don donation to his pack from Brahmin Motors shortly after fi filing the bill. I know this is uh not a political podcast, but I mean, the passing of laws that can affect a lot of us. And I think in this um, case, it gives a blueprint for other states to do the same. And if lobbyists have this much influence with passing our laws, our best interest is not getting taken into account. And I mean, our, our best interest is car people, uh, specifically with these laws that are passing. Although in Oregon, it looks like sort of automotively adjacent uh, to buying cars, you can now pump your own gas in Oregon. So the Oregon, ho uh, Oregon House uh, vote voted to let Oregonians pump their own gas. They passed a House Bill 2426. I didn't even realize that this was going to be sort of a, uh, a government, I'm only a bill song type of podcast. Um, but the House Bill 2426 was passed on a 47 to 10 vote, which would allow self-service options at every gas station in Oregon. So now I think the, the transition is going to be very similar to um, like seeing uh, self-service checkouts pop up in targets. It's going to be like that, right? Well, you'll have a section of the gas station that self-service while the other part of the gas station has people working it, but I don't think that will last for too long. I mean, if you think about it as a business owner, would you rather have a self-service pump where the customer does the work or would you rather pay someone else to do it um, and lose out on those profits? Of course, it'd be much better to keep the job, but that's not what the business owner is doing. Now, the bill does not eliminate full-service fueling uh, completely. Uh, it just gives the gas stations um, the right or actually the it's actually a rule to have at least half the pumps be self-service. Um, I didn't really see a timetable on when this needs to happen, but it does now that the bill has passed. Uh, station in populous counties would still be required to have at least one attendant and charge the same amount for gas at self-service pumps 
and as full service pumps. I think it was very smart for them to include that in the language because you could easily, I don't know, I actually don't know where to land because you could have easily said, right, the self-service option is cheaper to motivate people to go there or the self-service chart op option is more expensive or maybe the, um, the full service option comes with special perks. I don't know, uh, but there are probably ways around the actual language in the law. Uh, but I think keeping them even um, is fair. I think I would say it's fair in terms of the language of the bill. Um, the bill is supported by the Oregon Fuels Association, of course, as it helps with relieving the labor market pressure on finding gas station attendance. Um, I don't think they're having a hard time finding attendance. I think they're having a hard time wanting to pay them. And therefore, they're going in this direction. I mean, it makes 100% sense for them, right? You get rid of the staff. Now it's a self-service station. You have one person. Like here in California, I mean, you'll have one person running a full gas station. Actually, this is the first time I'm actually thinking about that. Yeah, most of our gas stations, there's one dude there. And he's handling the whole show. Even at Costco, there'll be one, maybe two. Two guys there, and that's it. Whereas at these gas stations, there I I would imagine there'd be a little more. It'd be like Initial D, where there's a team of dudes just kind of working the gas station. That kind of sucks. It would have been nice to keep the uh, the the jobs, but I I understand why they went in this direction. It's not cool, but I get I get why they did it because everything is going in this direction. Now uh, the surprising part, and maybe not surprising part. Um, is that it passed with such a high mark, 47 to 10. I mean, it was almost a sweeping vote, uh, which means, you know, Democrats and Republicans voted together essentially on this. So it's something they agreed on. I'm also surprised that, you know, this still exists. There are two states in the United States that still do full service gasoline, Oregon and New Jersey. Um, and now Oregon is kind of getting into the new age of doing things. So that might leave just New Jersey soon. I imagine it will. Um, it's probably easier to manage these things. Or maybe, who knows, maybe like the full service pumps are a lot cheaper to buy. So the upfront cost isn't as much. Whereas the full service or the self-service uh, option, maybe the pumps are a little more expensive because they require technology. I don't know. I'm not a gasoline expert. All I know is that you organites out there can now or will soon be able to pump your own gas. Let's get into our next headline. Overlanders have a new vehicle option, a Porsche 911. I'm not much of an overlander. I kind of I like the nature. It's kind of nice to take a drive, but it's not something I do often, I guess. But the idea of taking a Porsche 911 out there and being able to camp on it sounds pretty cool and we know it works because the porsche ceo camped in this seven thousand dollar roof tent on top of a 911 turbo s aleman um in the uh in porsche employee section of lemon uh he stayed in this tent uh the whole time we was that he was there which i thought was pretty cool um, I imagine that $7,000 is a cushy tent, but it's still not like being indoors overnight. But it's also a really cool experience, kind of like being able to go to the track, 
you're not really driving. You're just there to kick back. I mean, Le Mans is an experience in, you know, in that way that you can go and do that and experience the 24 hours that way. Uh, but that's pretty cool. The Porsche CEO, Oliver Bloom, uh, stayed during the race on top of a 911 Turbo S and um, sort of made waves as a result, right? They launched this uh, rooftop tent last year, but maybe sales weren't as great as they expected. So now the CEO is jumping in and showing that, hey, look, I can do this. You can do this too. I'm not sure um, if... <sighs> I've always wondered if I'm, I'd be fine with just carrying a tent on top of my car all the time. I imagine with most Porsche owners, it's not a car that you're dailying for the most part, so it's not really going to matter too much. But having a tent on top of the car, they I guess they wouldn't sell it if they didn't know that it could handle it. I'm sure it can handle it, but there are limits. If you have the tent on top of your Porsche, the top speed that the car can hit is 80 miles per hour. It can't go faster than that safely, according to Porsche. Your limit is 80 miles an hour, which makes sense. There's probably a lot of drag card by that, caused by that car. Might upset the suspension, get into situations that a normal consumer cannot control. So 80 miles per hour is their limit. Now, the other thing to note is the $7,000 cost. That is a lot. But these rooftop tents are not cheap. I mean, I imagine for most of them, if you get like some, you know, normal popular brand, whatever they are, uh, it's not going to cost you $7,000 to get one, a very similar one, but it won't say Porsche. So, you know, as a Porsche owner, that'll bug you to death. And then you'll end up selling that one that you bought and buying the $7,000 one anyway. If you're buying a Porsche, it's likely you got it like that, at least enough. Um, one day, one day we'll all get there. And go to Le Mans in our Porsches and stay in the rooftop tents. I've never been a much of a camper. I've always been like, you know, that's, I don't want to, I didn't work this hard to struggle, you know. Like, I definitely want to sleep on a bed indoors. I love nature. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing nature. Um, but I don't think I need to sleep on a floor to do it, like on uh on a dirt floor. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, you know, call, you know, call my pinky raised, call it what you want. Just not my thing, but camping out at the track in a Porsche on a rooftop tent that's cushioned. It has a polyfoam mattress in it. Uh, it's got side windows, a skylight, you know, waterproof zippers. You can take it in the rain. I don't know. It sounds kind of cool. $7,000. Cool though. Mm, maybe not right now. We'll do it later. We'll definitely do it later. Now, it seems um, that we have everything to confirm the new Ford GT3 is coming outside of Ford actually confirming the damn thing. Um, I mean, I guess they, they want to generate buzz, generate excitement. There was a little of this when the Super was coming out, too, where there was some secrecy, but then like some convenient links uh, leaks um that kept the buzz going and now the same thing is happening with ford so the road going version of the ford mustang gt3 has been spied with a wide body and a center exit exhaust and the reason why people are speculating that they are spying the in fact spying the road going mustang gt3 
is that they looked at the tires of the car and noticed that they resemble the Michelin Pilot Sport Cup 2 R's almost exactly. And the camera the camera shots that they took were so good, they could see the R on the sidewall of the tires. And this essentially confirmed that this is sort of the road-going version of the Mustang GT3. If it was... A race car, it would probably be on some slicks, and it wouldn't be on these specific tires. Now, the front end was very hem heavily camouflaged, so they did make an attempt at hiding what it looked like. But some of the portions, you could see that there are large openings for intakes and cooling. So the uh, aggressive arrow will probably definitely be uh, on that car. At least I hope so. I mean, it, it should be a good-looking car. It shouldn't be too wild. It shouldn't hit, like, last generation of Civic wild. But it should it should look aggressive, kind of like the GT350 um, and the 500 as well, although I'm partial to the GT350 in terms of styling and aero. This will definitely have more aggressive aero as a GT3 option, um, but I imagine they'll still keep it pretty... Um, maybe not vanilla. Vanilla is probably the wrong word, but let's say plain. Keep it a little plain, uh, not make it too wild, because then they want to appear to them appeal to the masses, right? The more unique you make a car, the more people you're gonna alienate. And as an OEM manufacturer, you want to cast the biggest, biggest net. Um, now the car's sound was described as naturally aspirated, so there's no indication of a supercharger coming which is sort of what everybody expected. This is going to be a naturally aspirated 5.4 liter. Who knows if they'll do the 5.4 liter that's in the GT3 race car, but 5.4 liter V8 is sort of what's being speculated. Um, but Ford has been known to add superchargers to like Shelby models or Cobra models or whatever you want to call it. Um, so it's not unlikely that they'll do that in a later date or even at the same time or even have a supercharger option like the like what they just released for the F one fifty, in which you pay ten grand for a supercharger that's carb approved. That's awesome that they can do that. Um, I'm very intrigued. I know this car is going to be very very expensive, but if you can get your hand on one, it's probably not going to devalue a whole lot. I think. I know it's a Mustang, but it's a unique one. I mean, even the GT350s and GT500s that I've talked about are appreciating in value currently. They're definitely like 20 grand more than they were just two or three years ago. Although that that has happened with everything at this point. Um, it's still, there's, there's still a chance this stays up there. The Dark Horse, maybe not. I don't believe that one will hold too much, but a GT3 definitely will. But this is, I am estimating if... If this is as close to the race GT3 as I think it will be, lots of carbon fiber parts, lots of aggressive aero, lots of expensive pieces, expensive braking. I mean, you're talking about a GT3 car that rivals Porsche. It's going to be at least close or even six figures uh, for sure. And I don't know that I could get myself to buy a six-figure car having the money or not. I don't know. That seems crazy to me. But if it's not going to devalue, maybe you ride it around for two years or whatever and own it for a little while and then sell it and have someone else enjoy it. But, yeah, I don't know. But it would be cool. 
it would be cool to pick up the first GT3. There's also that. Like, do you guys... Are you guys okay with getting that first version of a car? I don't think I am. Like, being the guinea pig, the one that has to test the first generation, first release of that car, all the bugs that come out, you know, all the recalls you don't know about. I don't know. I definitely like models to run for a few years before I decide to get them. Although there are cars you get excited about, you know, when the Super was coming back. I talk about that car a lot. Um, it's still, nah, I don't know. I don't know. It's... I'd rather wait, but then I end up waiting like 15 years and getting into shit boxes that I have to work on constantly and have no time to do uh, really anything else. That's what I'm going through now. I feel like I should have less cars. It's it's getting to like an obscene amount of work to keep up with this stuff. But that's the life we chose. Now on to our last headline. This is sad news for me to report. BMW has abandoned our mission to save the manuals. I I was able to hold on for a very long time. At one point they said that they would continue to make manuals as long as the people wanted it. And of course that meant that is as long as there were enough sales, they were going to do it. The thing is, if they're doing it based on sales and we're talking about the G80M3, the G87M2, I think that's unfair. I think that's very unfair. If they're if they're basing it on sales and they're blaming the lack of manual transmission sales on the transmission itself and not their designs. I'm sure there are ways for them to figure that out. There are ways for them to look at the data and kind of narrow in a little more onto what is actually causing the drop in manual sales of course that exists um you know most gaming now sim gaming is paddle shifting you don't really see a lot of people like even streamers using shifters on sim rigs which means the younger generation is going to know paddle shifting more so than anything else which means that their first car when they get of age they're going to want a paddle shifting car so the demand for the most part even starting in the video game side, which is where you probably get the youngest exposure to driving outside of maybe go-karting, which really, I mean, that takes a lot of money. Even if you're just going to K1, if you're going a lot to K1, you're going to be spending a lot of money. So they have decided that the last manual gearbox will be in the M2 and the twin clutch automatic is dead. The DCT is also something they want to leave behind. Uh, BMW M is transitioning to automatic transmissions and uh, torque converter automatic transmissions and phasing out the twin clutch gearbox, the D what we know as the DCT. It wasn't around for that long, but I mean, I sort of get it because the ZF, uh, the eight-speed ZF that's in the Supra matched the B58. Um, I remember the first time I used it, that was nice and it was in its very stock form in like comfort mode um it felt great i i had no complaints about shifting uh with that car it felt good it felt like it shifted where i needed to be it was sharp it was quick um i mean i really only got to drive it on roads i didn't get to take it to the track but i mean driving it 
somewhat hard, it felt good. And so when your torque converter technology is that good, I think investing in other more expensive technologies is probably not a good idea. And that's probably why I decided to take this route. It's unfortunate because I think for a streetcar, I would want to have a stick shift uh, forever, right? For the rest of my life. In a performance setting, I can get the appeal of just wanting paddle shifting, right? And not having to move your hands and feet in directions that it doesn't need to travel anymore, right? You can do paddle shifting and left foot brake rather than focusing on shifting in a six-speed car. But, um, you know, on the street, it'd be really nice to still have stick shift cars. I think eventually we're going to hit a point, now that I've described kind of the younger generation getting exposed to paddle shifting more so than anything else, I think we might get to a point where stick shift is now looked at as the old and slow technology. I mean, that transition has already started happening. I think a lot of the people that would always complain about automatic transmissions or kind of look sideways at a guy that got a sports car but it's an automatic sports car, even if it was a Supra, um, are now thinking, okay, automatic transmissions are the real deal, right? They're faster than us. They can shift faster than us. So everything is moving in that direction. And so that's why BMW decided, all right, we're going to stop doing that. We're going to stop doing the DCT. We're going to just follow ZF down this crazy rabbit hole of torque converter um, gearboxes. And it'd be cool. I mean, BMW actually even uses the torque converter gearboxes in their M4 GTR race cars. So they trust te this technology in their own cars. Therefore, of course, you can trust it in your car. I think with technology nowadays and being able to tune gearing and such, um, it makes it a lot easier uh, to have a, a decent performance at a torque converter gearboxes. Now, I'm talking strictly stock power. Once you start getting into modifying the car and all that, I mean, it's a whole new ball game, you know, with high, higher torque, higher horsepower, what these transmissions can handle and what specialty shops you're going to have to go to to get transmissions that are adequate um for the power that you're putting down on these cars but i'm talking strictly stock or you know relatively a bolt-on mod style car um that transmission is more than enough uh and i'm sure the technology will just continue to improve and eventually we're going to get to a point where most of these cars are ev and that's a single gear anyway although porsche has been talking about as Many other companies have been talking about um, adding shift feel to EV cars. So it feels like you can shift. It feels like you can hold first gear. Um, the, the, I'm skeptical, though, because a lot of the videos I've seen when they're asked, well, how close does this feel to the actual thing? They'll come up with some arbitrary percentage, 70%, 80%, 90%, 95%, whatever it may be. I don't know that it's based on any truth, right? It's really anecdotal. They're they're going off of their own feel, and I just don't trust that. I mean, we need hard data. Everyone else is going to have – every single person can have a completely different opinion on the same exact thing. Um, so having one person tell you that, it's kind of hard to believe. But, 
you really we really only need to hold on to, tr to transmissions for for that long really eventually most cars will just be a single gear and it'll be like the teslas are now and we won't really even have to worry about this you just have instant torque immediately i don't think that'll happen in our lifetime but it could technology moves really really fast well those are your headlines now we're gonna move into our newest segment a word on the world of cars and this time it will be circuit safaris and how i came about this is i was on instagram as i usually do scrolling and scrolling and scrolling to a ton of uh information and then i got tired and i was like you know what i need to look up something else and i started prepping for the podcast and started looking up different things and I stumble upon what was referred to as a circuit safari. And a circuit safari is like, it's exactly what it is describing in its name. You go to a safari to see lions and to drive your car uh, along a lion, tiger, running, whatever, whatever it may be, even at the San Diego Safari Zoo. Um, but instead of animals... You get to go see Verstappen. What what if I what if I told you that? You could be on track with an F1 car in the middle of a race. Well, you can't do it with F1, but thanks to Japan, you can do it at Fuji with the WEC, the World Endurance Championship 6 Hours of Fuji in Japan included a practice session where rec, uh, race cars navigate around 5 tour buses filled with fans. Like, take that in. That's that's wild. I mean, for anyone who's driven on the track and gotten stuck behind somebody, and, I mean, they're not, like, driving slow necessarily. You just might be on different levels, different types of cars, whatever it may be. Um, but it's extremely annoying, right, as you're trying to get stuff done. This organization decided to put five tour buses at Fuji in a practice session for race cars. Now, that's the thing. It was practice session and not a full-on race. But still, I feel like that practice session is essentially burnt. I really wonder if it was like a, a, a an extra one or one that they didn't actually have to participate in or maybe a minimum of cars had to show up. It was more like sort of a parade situation. But, of course, Japan's the first to do it. They put this out in the world. And it actually is pretty cool like to give someone a taste of what it might feel like to be on the track with actually, without actually getting in a car with a race car driver. Because I would say for me, being a passenger, I, I, don't, I don't know that I can do it. I, I, I think I get a little more freaked out as a passenger than as a driver. As a driver, I have a little more control. I know what's going on as a passenger. I don't know. I think your brain just doesn't connect with what's happening with the car because you're you're not the one giving it the inputs. Um, so maybe a circuit safari like this at some track in the middle of a race nor in the middle of a practice session in this case gives you kind of a feel or taste or, or, or introduces you to the concept of motorsport, which is pretty cool. Um, I think uh, a lot of regular people might want to do this um, rather than having to drive a car just to get an idea of what's going on. I mean, if I got a chance to do it with like F1, like I said, 
I think it'd be a cool option to go and get in a bus and experience that. You're in the way, um, but to see an F1 car pass by in a bus on the track, that is something you're not going to be able to see from the grandstands. So that would be really cool, but very, very unlikely. I mean, it doesn't necessarily uh, feel like the safest thing. I mean, I think things can go wrong pretty easily, and... The in the videos you can see that the bus that they're driving is staying on the outside of the track for the most part, but they do explain that occasionally they will go down into the apex to give the uh, sort of illusion that they're racing the bus, right? Give it a better feel for the passengers, and in that case, of course, they're getting in the way of these race cars. They're they're on the line, so of course they're getting in the way. There's no way. Um, and you can see the 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 cars getting held up in the videos. But I would say in terms of like introducing people to the sport or giving like some sort of option like that, it'd be really cool to see that at some of the lower levels. I mean, in, in F1, of course, those tickets would be wildly expensive. But to be able to see it at other tracks and other types of uh, motorsport that maybe is not as expensive – you might get some more fans and some more people to get involved in cars to catch the bug a little bit. Maybe some of them, some of them do get motivated and end up going to, uh, to the track themselves in their car. Um, and now the event is seen as just a fun experience, right? That everyone can, ex can have fun in, but of course you're signing waivers cause that thing is dangerous. Um, I imagine it's more dangerous for the race car drivers, even though they're probably well more equipped at driving than the bus driver is um, still, you know, like you have just an elephant on the track while you're flying down at a hundred miles an hour or whatever it may be um, at that particular track. But it went so well that they're planning to continue to do this. And I think more tracks have picked this up in Japan at this point, because Japan started this back in 2017 and they inspired a few other uh, organizations, including one in the United States. So now it has made it stateside. And this wasn't an organization that picked it up, but it was Atlanta Motorsports Park that picked it up. And in 2022, they introduced the first U.S. circuit safari, uh, which was inspired by the circuits of Japan. Fans could buy a seat on a luxury charter bus and that will drive the track during a live series race. They went all out. This isn't practice. They were going to do this through a live race, which, I mean, that doesn't... I, I looked up more information about this just to see if this is correct or if this is wrong. And the information that I'm pulling here is from the Atlanta Motorsports Park website. So a small group of founding track members and race bloggers had a chance to test the rides during a special media day event. And this is the only video of this that you see, which is this is where I find it very odd. And I wish I could have found more information on this, but this is literally where the thread ends. Um, you see the video, they're driving it around, and there seems to be like uh, race car sounds dubbed onto, or they were piping it in through the bus. But on the actual track, you don't see other cars. So the, it was just like a, a, a slow lap, a parade lap to get everyone uh, some information on what it was going to look like. And it's the only video that's available. It's available on their website. The video of it happening at the actual race, 
there's nothing like that. I looked up some videos of the event that happened April 30th, 2022, and there are some videos on YouTube of races, but none of them that it included a bus flying through it. And I feel like if this would have actually happened, we would have heard about it. This would have been huge news in the automotive world for this to happen in the U.S. I think it's such an oddity to have a tour bus on the track while a race is happening. If it was practice, I might have said, okay, yeah, no, it's probably not true, uh, or it doesn't matter, or it's not even going to make the news because it's a practice lap. You know, you're talking about practice. There's a race going on. You're talking about practice. And Atlanta Motorsports Park decides to do a race. So this would have definitely made news. It would have definitely fallen on, on my radar if it would happen in 2022. That was last year, a little over a year ago that this occurred. So I don't actually think it happened. They did the announcement. They announced that they would have a lottery to for people to buy tickets to participate. At some point, somewhere, and I'm still digging into this, I'm gonna, and I'm going to continue digging into this, I could not find any information on it actually happening. And so I want to get in contact with someone at Atlanta Motorsports Park or someone local to that area that might know if it actually happened or not. Because, I mean, it'd be pretty interesting to bring over here, but then it also refutes my original, my statement from earlier that normal consumers were like this. Maybe it wasn't promoted enough, but if maybe this got canceled because not enough people signed up, right? Maybe the lottery didn't work. Or maybe there was a safety issue. Maybe the fire marshal or somebody, when they got plugged in a little late in the game, when the, after they had already made the announcement, all of a sudden it becomes, oh, no, you can't do that. That's not safe. During a live race, no. People will get hurt. It's a fire hazard. You're going to need to pay for Maybe it was insurance. Maybe in order to get away with that, they had to pay for, like, millions in insurance. And therefore didn't want to do it and just quietly scrapped it and forgot to delete the article from their website. Because I don't think you can I don't think you can click through that article through the website, but you can search um Circuit Safaris Atlanta Motorsports Park and it'll pop up and they have the video hosted on that site as well. So you can take a look at that. If you search it on YouTube, you actually can't find it um directly. Maybe it's unlisted, I don't know. But uh but it would have been cool for that to happen. I don't I if this got canceled because it was supposed to happen during a race, I agree that it should have gotten canceled. Practice is one thing. I mean, you know, like not a lot of, not everyone's going to run to practice. It's a little more tame. You're kind of just figuring out the car, things like that. But a full-on race? I mean, now you're turning you're turning road racing into literal Mario Kart. Like that's what you're doing. Now you're putting obstacles that could literally kill you. you just don't you can't revive in real life. Yeah, that's not gonna work. It would have been crazy for that to happen. Maybe it was an April Fool's joke. I didn't see a date on the article. I hope it was, uh, and I got fooled. Um, but then I also hope it wasn't, and I hope that there's a way for this to, these tours to kind of come around and get more people interested in motorsport, bring back the heyday of the early 2000s in automotive uh, or car culture um, out here in Southern California and the rest of the world. But that is your circuit safari. If I hear of one, or if you know of one that's happening like at the grassroots amateur level, 
let me know. I'd be cool. It'd be cool to to participate in something like that. It's like goofy. It's odd, but it's also kind of cool to get a different perspective to race cars. Well, that is our episode. You can find us at 91octane.com. That is all letters, no numbers. Also, like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at 91octane. If you want to send us any emails, info at 91octane.com. And don't forget to check out the merch at 91octane.com slash shop. Thank you guys all for listening. We'll catch you next week. Good night.